We live inside a dream. Let's talk about Judy. Hello, and welcome to San and Dave Need Wedding Dates, the only Twin Peaks podcast in the entire world. My name is Jeremy Schmidt. (laughs) I am one of the two co-hosts of this show, and who am I here with today? Uh, Richard. No, Linda. No, uh, (laughs) this is stupid. My name is Eric Keppel. Hello. (laughs) Welcome. Uh yes, Eric Keppel, you had a better intro than me already with the Richard Linda bit. I felt like that was a better opening line than we got to talk about Judy. Uh I don't know why you didn't just lead with that. You see what you got, the listener doesn't know is that Eric made me do the intro just now. <laughs> he said, "Jeremy, why don't you kick this one off just so he could show me that he had a better thing already planned." Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, yeah, we're very, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very excited to close out this chapter of our lives. Twin Peaks, the return coming to an end, uh, ch- uh episodes 17 and 18 of season three of the show. We're going to be recovering. It's going to be a bittersweet episode and we couldn't do it alone with just me and Eric. No, we had to bring somebody else into the mix. Oh yeah. Uh, we have a, an amazing guest today, Mr. Drew Doral. How's it going, buddy? It is in my house now. Hey, guys. Yes. <laughs> okay, great. So everyone had a better intro than References. I did. <laughs> Literally everybody yeah. did. Even the guest had a better intro than me. Uh, Drew... Well, that's what you brought me on for, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah I want, I, Drew, I need you to do a killer intro and a killer outro, and that's basically it. We'll take care of the, the episode. No, I can't. Okay, yeah. yeah. We, 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 uh, we thank you guys to... so much for having me on. I'm so excited to talk uh, about uh, not only parts 17 and 18, but just sort of Twin Peaks as a whole. Drew, yes. you know, one of the one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast and covering Twin Peaks is, uh, you know, I, I, I hop onto Twitter and once in a while I got a, a DM from Drew and uh, we, we, we message back and forth about Twin Peaks and uh, it's nice because you're, uh, you know, you you seem like you have a lot of ideas about Twin Peaks, and you're pretty uh, experienced in sort of thinking about, uh, you know, what it all means, and and certainly watching and 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 thinking about the show. So uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on. For sure, you're so welcome. <laughs> and you know, I. I don't have any unique ideas of my own. All of my ideas are stolen from, you know, my my other favorite activity besides watching Twin Peaks is watching, like, Twin Peaks, like, recap videos and, like, oh, yeah. video essays. So, like, all of my ideas are basically stolen from much smarter people, and I'm just going to be re- repeating it like a, uh, a drunk in a jail cell. <laughs> right. Who, who is that? Was David Foster Wallace? Is he the author that was, like, super into... Uh... David Lynch. Yeah, I mean, he would talk about like Blue Velvet being like a big influence. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I would love it if you just like ripped off um 
uh, fuck, I'm blanking on the one book that everyone knows. Infinite Jest. <laughs> Infinite Jest. Yeah, you're just reciting <laughs> quotes from Infinite Jest. Yeah. Well, I'm wearing a bandana on my head right now, so I'm halfway there. You, Love it. You know, uh, can I say something about David Foster Wallace real quick? <laughs> Please. Okay. So I know everyone, like, everyone probably pr- pretty much unanimously agrees, like, he's the man. Like, he's the fucking man. He's, like, the fucking uh, best writer guy. Uh, Infinite Jest is a must read or whatever. I, I feel like I've never, I- I'm- I've got him on hold. Like, I've never fully done a deep dive into David Foster Wallace, and I know it's, like, coming at some point. Like, eventually, I'm going to get into him, you know? I'm going to, like, probably, like, you know, read his Wikipedia page and, like, buy a copy of Infinite Jest (laughs) and never read it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the deep dive. Um, So, but I I haven't done it yet. Does anybody here... I mean, clearly, Eric hasn't because he's never... He doesn't even know the book name. Uh, Drew, (laughs) have you you, uh, done a deep dive into David Foster Wallace? No, I have not. It's just not something that ever um, was uh, a required reading. No one ever demanded that I read it, so uh, I just didn't. But maybe, you know, he's not going anywhere. You know, I can, no. always, I, can always, I can always pick it up in my 40s or 50s, you know? Sure. Yeah, you know what? I'll meet you there, Drew. That sounds good. 40s <laughs> and 50s. I'm going to wait till then, too. That's when, I'll, that's when I'll pick up David Foster Wallace. Right. And if we both haven't read infinite jest by the time we're 50 years old we'll both get married we'll marry each other yeah exactly perfect sounds like a great screwball comedy <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know uh jeremy we have this okay so this is i can't remember if you said this but this is of course our stanley kubrick and david lynch podcast and this is our last episode of this entire series yeah it ha- Too exciting announcement. It hasn't been. I- uh, oh, you have announcements. Sorry, I was going to jump in there and be like, it hasn't been a, a Stanley Kubrick and David Lynch podcast for a while. It's been. Mo- it's been yeah. just a, a Twin Peaks podcast for about. It feels like six years, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. it's only been maybe. I mean, do we start the return Five in years. the pandemic? Uh, yeah, we did. Okay, we, we started. We did the original series um, before. I think like like last year, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so after this episode, we will be rebranding as we like to do uh, <laughs> to West versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator, uh, a podcast where we will we we I have this idea, Jeremy, and we'll talk about it in that next episode. But uh, I have a plan, sort of a ranking system, where you, myself, and our listeners. Are going to decide definitively who is the better director, Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul W. S. Anderson, or Wes Anderson? Okay, perfect. And uh, so we'll we'll start with that. And Jeremy, what do you say we start with uh, Paul W. S. Anderson? Okay, we're gonna kick week. it off with Paul W. S. Anderson. So he'll yes. be the first. His film Shopping. Shopping. It, I believe it's from 1994. <laughs> I think, but it's called Shopping. You should be able to find it. I think it's free on Tubi. So we're doing that. And also, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Now, Drew, you're going you're gonna to get an, a little exclusive because uh, you're, you're a patron over there. Thank you so much. Sure uh, am. September, Mafia Month. We're doing all Mafia movies, right, Jeremy? Yeah, Mafia Month. It's coming up. <laughs> <Awesome>. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you got? What, 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 
What do we want to do, Jeremy? You, you had, uh, uh, I know that you had an idea. I have a couple in mind. Right. Well, I one of the films that I wanted to cover, but I, and I, and I checked with you, Eric, to see if this counted. And I'll check with you. I'll triple check with you, Drew. Let me know if you think this counts. Uh, the Untouchables. It's Kevin Costner, right? Yeah, yeah. It's about. It's like. It's like about the the people who tried to take down Al Capone. Like De Niro yeah. plays Al Capone in that. Does that count as a mob movie? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cool. Yeah, Capone's mafia. Yeah, uh, yeah. But he's like, you know, he's not yeah. the protagonist. So I was like, well, you know, if it's about the, you know, the detectives or whatever, I don't know if it if it counts. But I, I think it does count. I think we're gonna watch I it because I've never seen it and I've always wanted to see. It. It's Brian De Palma. I've been trying to get into more De Palma stuff. So. Um, yes, and, and I would I, like to do uh, Casino, and I have a couple others in mind, but we'll, you know, we'll talk. We'll talk about it yeah. off air, and and you know if you have any ma- mafia movie suggestions you you would like you would like us to talk about, tweet at us at Chucky Rules four twenty, and uh, that Patreon it's only five bucks a month. You get weekly bonus episodes. We just did uh, a bunch of episodes on Tales from the Crypt. We have our Hollywood conspiracy theories. We have a. Uh, 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 what else do we got over there? Well, I was going to say, should we announce to the listener? I mean, we announced it on the Patreon, but to the listeners out there, we're going to be doing until and before Mafia Month starts, we're doing Jackass. <laughs> yes, we are doing Jackass the movie. We're doing Jackass the movie. So yeah, that, very that's going to be a fun one. I have a good feeling about that. I, you know, surprisingly did way more research for that than I did for the for the end of Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, I personally tried every stunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched a lot of like film analysis essays on Jackass the movie. <laughs> uh, anyway, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. It's a good time over there. Drew, uh, we got so much to talk about. I want uh, just give us a brief overview. What's your history with uh, David Lynch and Twin Peaks? So, um... David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick are probably my two favorite film directors. So this podcast no was kidding. like tailor made for me. So I've been excited yes. ever since the beginning of this iteration of the podcast. I was like, well, one day, one day they'll talk about the return. And mm. I just have been looking forward to that moment like since. So this is, this is a big deal. As far as like when I started watching Twin Peaks, I must have been in... I must have been in college. I must have been like a junior or senior uh, in college. And uh, I started watching it because like uh, a girlfriend like introduced me to it. I feel like a lot of people get into Twin Peaks that way uh, because like a friend or like a significant other like suggested I get into it. And the pilot was probably the first David Lynch thing I'd ever seen. I really wasn't familiar wow. with it in high school. But after that, I watched Mulholland Drive. You know, I watched all of Twin Peaks and I was kind of hooked after that. So uh, just little by little, I would start watching other ones. Uh, Blue Blue Velvet, I watched like uh, probably immediately after that. And I've just eventually gotten around to all of them except for Inland Empire. I still have not seen Inland Empire for, you know, uh, normal reasons that people don't watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, it is on YouTube if you're interested. Oh, you yeah, I keep forgetting that it is on YouTube. That's so, it seems like it shouldn't be. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I will say Michael Chow seems seems like Michael Chow liked it a lot, and he well, hadn't seen it. Yeah, um, Chow seems like a hardcore uh, Lynch stan. Like he just stands. I think everything Lynch does, which 
you know, I, I pretty much for the most part am too, but Inland Empire was a, was something I just could not abide. Could not abide it. It's just one of those things that I've put off, you know, so long and it's, it's built up in like my brain is like, oh, am I going to like this? Is it going to be like uh, tough to like sit through? Cause it's like three hours long, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's long. Yeah. Yeah. The bar- I mean, the barrier to entry is just enormous on that one. Yeah, it's huge. But I will say that the YouTube version of it, Drew, is as good as any version you're going to pirate <laughs> or buy overseas. Like, it is uh, it is definitely it is a standard definition version. I do not believe there's been an HD transfer of that film. Um, it might be in 720p actually. It it might actually be in 720p, but that's yeah. But it's shot on like uh, on like VHS tapes, right, Eric? Like, like commercial grade, like recording equipment, like yeah. I think it is like mini mini DV tape. I, I believe that's okay. what recorded. The camera that uh, Doctor Jacoby uses in the Return. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've ever brought this up. I read this on Reddit, so who knows if, if it's true. But <laughs> the camera he uses for his web show is the same camera Lynch used to film um, Inland Empire. Mm. So it's like one of those kind of handheld camcorder kind of things. Um, cool, uh, awesome. So. Uh, that is interesting. I, I don't know that I've talked to many people who whose entry point was Twin Peaks, as far as David Lynch goes. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was, but I think I immediately watched, like, Mulholland Drive, like, after that, because I think it was streaming on Netflix, like, at the time. And it was there, and I was like, ooh, what is this? And then, if, if, if you're into Mulholland Drive, you're into all of Lynch. You know, it's... Oh, yeah. uh, I, I, I still think that's probably his best uh film uh it's definitely top one or two in david lynch canon for me um but i mean twin peaks as a whole is just it's just a well that never runs dry for me i could talk about it all day um right now the best thing i've got going is just trying to experience it through like friends eyes so like listening to jeremy experience twin peaks for the first time was like huge for me just <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's been it's been fun was there any it's, it's was, was there fun. any reactions to things that either surprised either one of y'all or that you were particularly um sad as or were particularly satisfying responses either one yeah so when i'm listening to the podcast uh i'm just like shaking my hands in the air and stomping my feet when like you guys blaze <laughs> over like something that like I right. want to like bring attention to. But what was really funny was I don't know what part it was, but at some point early on in the series, you were like, I think I'm done with this Dougie stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that. That was like part five or something. And I'm like, Way early. Oh boy. So bad. I was like, Jeremy, buddy, you got so much more to get through. <laughs> But I, I, I had the same feeling when I watched it originally. And I think part of the point is, like, we're not supposed to really like uh, Dougie's story that much. It's not yeah. supposed to be the most interesting part of the return, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah. Like, that's, like, kind of the point. Well, it's also, like, and we'll talk about this more in closing yeah. the show, but I have some thoughts that I wanted to share with you guys here. As I'm sure we all three of us have thoughts that we'll we'll want to share about the yeah. series as a whole. But it is like the the Dougie stuff is representative of the silly side of the Twin Peaks show. 
that is actually not represented really anywhere else in the show. Like, oh, you know, like the yeah. whole town of Twin Peaks had, you know, every character would have their dramatic shit happen and then their silly storylines happen to them, you know? But uh, in this show, most of it's pretty dark and serious, except mm-hmm. the the levity comes with the Dougie stuff. So whenever, you know, I see Dougie on screen, I'm immediately remembering, you know, uh, when the old mayor married the like eighteen year old girl, like 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 you know like weird uh, silly threads that Twin Peaks, you know they they really did pl- straddle that line of like is this is this a hilariously cheeky and corny soap opera or is this a dark and serious procedural? You know, mm, yeah. Um, so we'll get into all of that stuff. We'll, we're we're going to go through, uh, like we always do, uh, parts 17 and 18, uh, sort of scene by scene. But real quick, I'll keep this one brief. Time for the Moose Minute. <laughs> oh, I had forgotten. <laughs> uh, it's time for the, uh, moose, the moose Minute, uh, the, the part of the show that everyone looks forward to where I update Ooh. the listeners on my first time watching Northern Exposure. Almost at the end of season three, I gotta say, big fan of Adam. Thank you so much. This has been the Moose Minute. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> That's all we're getting. We got a lot to talk about. Wow. We got a lot to talk about. Part 17, we're in Buckhorn. Gordon, Albert, and Tammy make a toast to the Bureau. Uh, Gordon reveals that he can still get a boner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because that is the first note that I have. <laughs> uh, Gordon reveals a secret he has kept for 25 years that before his disappearance, Major Briggs shared with uh, Gordon and Cooper a discovery he made about an entity named Jow Day, which over time became Judy. Uh, Philip Jeffries also was aware of the entity and Cooper told Gordon to try and find him if he disappeared. He continues saying that the informant Ray Monroe stated that the doppelganger of Cooper was searching for the coordinates. I love this shit. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, this was a really uh, the the episode starts in a way that I'm just like, it just felt like it had some sort of weight to it going in. And, you know, a little bit of a spoiler, but I, I had kind of forgotten that, like, what a lot of modern shows... Like, it seems like the modern show structure, like, what they like to do is they make their penultimate episode the most action-packed and mm-hmm. the most insane and the most, like... You could argue they wrap up the most shit in their penultimate episode, and then, they're, and then the finale... Can I, is actually sometimes a little bit of a lighter, almost like denouement, the series. And it's I don't like know when this... to the whole series. Right, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like extra borrowed time like after the, sh- like the show has already ended. Right, and I, I just don't, I don't know when that trend started, but I, you know, going into this episode, I immediately, my mind went there where I was like, we get the Philip Jeffries stuff, and I'm like, oh, no. We're about to... Some crazy shit's about to happen. And I can feel oh, it. Yeah. I love it. I love it when David Lynch is just personally spoon feeding us all this exposition because yes. he never does that. <laughs> he never does that. And it's so nice. Like the the bit a couple parts ago where we learn about the Blue Rose uh, case and, and how that all started. I mean, it's great. It's but we so do great. get a lot of answers here. I mean, just to hear oh, yeah. 
David Lynch, like literally from his lips, start talking about Judy. It, it makes me go insane. I love it so much. Like, it just can you imagine? Like, is there any other movie or like right before the last act? where, like, the director literally comes on screen and starts explaining a bunch of stuff that he wants you to think about, like... <laughs> no, yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, that's wild. Um, Agent Henley calls Gordon to tell him that they caught up with Dougie Jones and Bushnell Mullins, uh, reads Cooper's uh, coded message to Gordon, which reveals to him that Cooper is Dougie. Uh, Tammy looks up Cooper's activities, and Gordon says he knows where he is headed. So, also, just this, just seeing the Gordon Cole realize Cooper is Dougie yeah. is just... For him to yell out, great. Cooper is Dougie? <laughs> See, how, if, how the hell is this? Yeah. yeah. See, if we hadn't, like, endured all of that, you know, Dougie stuff, this wouldn't be so cathartic. It wouldn't be so, like, such, such a satisfying moment. So um, satisfying. And what I really want from like this like Blue Rose crew is just like a Saturday morning like Scooby Doo gang, just like mm. a Blue Rose <laughs> case most definitely, and then they go solve the case. Yeah. Yes. This is quite the motley crew of of, of <laughs> yeah, detectives. Uh <laughs> just kind of chill. I love their chill out, their vibe too. Like, you know, there's something that happened I think in the last episode we talked about where, you know, uh fake diane comes in the room and she's like i'll tell you about cooper and then albert's like you want a drink <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> they just chill up there and get drunk all day like that's sort yeah. of like what yeah in a room filled with machines yeah <laughs> yeah buzzing nonsense machines nonsense like, yeah. yeah uh at the uh sheriff's department cell block the drunk sleeps but wakes up much to chad's annoyance NATO makes sounds as she awakens, rousing James and Freddie and annoying Chad. She reaches up as she continues her noises, aped by the drunk. Uh, meanwhile, Ben receives a phone call concerning his brother Jerry and his whereabouts. Oh, so. interesting. Uh, okay, yeah, there's some stuff. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm having trouble whether or not I want to call stuff out in real time because I might forget about it later. But maybe I'll just make a note here to talk about at the end. Can we? Oh, you can call. You can. You can talk you can call about it anything you want. I yeah. would. I would love to hear. So any I guess. I guess I, I'm going to assume that everyone who's listening to this has seen these last two episodes of The Return. So even though we're going through the plot, it's just to kind of remind us. Oh, hey, this is what happened at this point, so we can kind of have a conversation about it. So I, I'm going to like call out the Ben and Jerry stuff as. Hmm. No idea why that storyline is in the return. <laughs> like no idea that does not wrap up in any way. And to be and to actually then <laughs> to be fair, really wasn't anything to begin with. The Ben and Jerry stuff really the, the, the mystery was like why is I guess Jerry out in the woods? But I mean like there I guess maybe because there was nothing to wrap up. There is no point in showing any of that. You know, I was thinking this, like, I do think that this is maybe, if I had to point to one thing that was disappointing in these last two parts, it's that, oh, I mean, Jerry's story is just kind of wrapped up or not wrapped up in kind of an uninteresting way. It's just like a phone call that, like, Ben receives, and now he has to go fetch his brother. So, yeah, I d it's probably the least satisfying of the like things that are wrapped up or the mysteries involved in the show. 
Right. I mean, I, I would say it's that and then the Audrey Horn stuff. I have so many thoughts on that that I think are going to change your mind about the Audrey. I would love that because, love and, and we'll get, and let's maybe, we'll kind of just maybe save that for the end because that is the, the, the biggest mystery to me leaving the show. I do really um, want to talk about the drunk though, uh, if I can. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yes, because he's also a mystery to me. I forgot. Yeah. So the drunk. I'm not sure he appears to anybody but Chad. Does anybody interact with this guy except for Chad? Oh, interesting. This literally occurred yeah. to me like yesterday, and I think it was it was a friend of mine that like told me about it. It's like, wait, I don't think anybody's actually like interacting with or getting pissed off. Like, I don't think you see James or uh, Freddie talk to the drunk. They're more focused on NATO chirping away. Right. But I think of this as like Chad, he has created like his own hell, like in his life, you know, through the actions, he's just sort of like sitting with like his own darkness, you know, and I don't know, this is like a little hellscape for Chad that like he may or may not deserve. I mean, he's a pretty bad character, so he does kind of get what he deserves. But I think, I think the drunk really only appears to him. Yeah, do you think the drunk also might have something to do with the Black Lodge a little bit, like as, as an agent of the Black Lodge or something? Because he does respond to NATO, you know? Like, they seem to have some sort of connection where he only chimes in when she starts to make noise. Right, right. And he's just, like, repeating stuff. Which yeah. is, like, a very David Lynch thing to do. I mean, if you watch any David Lynch movie, like, people will just say, like, a line, like, twice. Right, for, for seemingly no reason or just like for emphasis mm-hmm. and then like obviously Dougie's whole bit is like repeating like the last like yeah. couple words of like some of something he hears so I mean it falls in line whether or not he's like an agent of the Black Lodge or not like I don't know but I mean he, you can't not I mean you can't forget this guy it is just amazing to watch yeah and especially yeah, he's towards- one that I've never been able to figure out exactly what his what his deal is, I guess. I think it's just one of those David Lynch moralistic like deals. It's like you sort of like live the life that you've like set up for yourself. And like, this is sort of Chad, like where this is where he ends up, you know, like kind of in a hellscape. Yeah. You could argue that there's a lot of, there's a lot of like peripheral characters in twin peaks, the return that serve that same kind of purpose as that drunk guy. And one one I'll point out is the the woman in the car with the sick kid that Bobby yes. Bobby runs into. It's like it's almost like there's no way that that's actually happening. You know, you feel like mm-hmm. it probably is only happening to Bobby because Bobby's there or something. It's like something for Bobby to see and experience. <laughs> totally, yeah. Um, the doppelganger reaches the woods outside Twin Peaks, arriving at the coordinates, the same location where the sheriff's department found NATO. A portal forms, uh, and he is transported to the fireman's theater where Major Briggs' head floats. Uh, the fireman levitates as the screen shows the Palmer house, then a road in front of the sheriff's station where uh, the doppelganger is then transferred. <laughs> Sensing this, NATO wakes up and the doppelganger approaches Andy, who mistakes him for original Cooper. Chad removes a uh, cell key from his boot, and Andy brings Cooper inside, where he meets Lucy and Frank. Andy recalls the vision of himself and Lucy, and uh, that the fireman showed him. I love that the fireman 
can flip through portals, sort of like how I would flip through Bumble or something. Like he just <laughs> yeah. kind of swipes yeah. left, like nah, not there. How about we put him at the fire? Or, I'm sorry, at the police station. <laughs> just absentmindedly swiping. Like, why am I even on this? Yeah, app? he's like, oh, I got uh, Evil Cooper here. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll just take him to the police. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he belongs. So, that is like that's interesting that so what is the equivalent of the fireman for the black lodge like what's the bad version of the fireman is it judy because the fireman we've seen just only exists to um i guess help cooper and balance out the evil in the world with good like how he created laura palmer i'm wondering if there is like a, a you know uh, an evil version of the fireman. Would it be like Bob or Mike, one of the one of them? Yeah, it could be. So I have some thoughts on this, and they're pretty much stolen from the uh, Twin Peaks Explained No Really video. I did. Is I, that the four hour one? There's a, yeah. The the first one is like four and a half hours, and then there's like even more videos that add up to like six hours. So like, I mean, yeah, that okay. just gives you a taste about like how complicated like some of this stuff is. But I do think I'm, it's uh, interesting. Yeah. I'll summarize it for you at the end. <laughs> I'm 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 excited to watch all that stuff because I think it's gonna be just. I mean, who doesn't love a good film analysis essay, right? So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch all of that stuff. I uh, but I only had time to watch two separate 20 minute long explanation videos sure 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 uh and i think they did an okay job we'll see we'll see if any of it turns out to be aligned with what you guys think is kind of going on but uh none of it none of the videos i watched covered any of that did what were you about to say drew that that one did does so I have an idea about where we are i don't think that this I, for a long time i thought this was the white lodge Oh like shit! That, I did, too. and that the and that the fireman lives at the White Lodge. But more and more, I'm starting to think that this place is sort of unique to the fireman. Um, I mean, this is the same theater that uh, is in Mulholland Drive, right? For this for the Club Silencio scene. So this is like a place that David Lynch likes a lot, and I think is just sort of representative of just like where films are made, kind of. Hmm. Um, and I think the white and black lodges are like doppelgangers of them of each other. And that whenever we're in the red room, we're either in the black or the white lodge, like at different times. Oh yeah. Interesting. Cause sometimes it feels like we're in a room, like when we're in that red room, that things are very hostile and threatening. And then sometimes it feels like things are very peaceful and nice and informative. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's like w- both extremes. I mean, and even like the four is like just black and white, you know. Mm. Um, so I I I I really like the idea now that the black and white lodge is just a chevron floor, the red curtains, that space, the red room, and we're either in like the black or white lodge depending on like how you navigate it. So I don't know. That's my current theory. Um, yeah. Love it. Yeah, I forget where I where this came from, but I've always known the red room as um, a waiting room between either the white or the black lodge. Oh, like right. a, yeah, a space. it is called the waiting room to Twin Peaks fans, I guess, huh? And I definitely think of it as a like between world, like 
sort of like a world in between the television Twin Peaks world and like the real world, like on the other side of like the television screen. Yeah, sort you know like what? Because I I would argue that the Black Lodge is has something to do with that gas station, right? Like we see the Black Lodge a mm-hmm. couple of times. Like we see all those people hanging out in the Black Lodge and Fire Walk with me, and you know I I think so definitely reading about the convenience store. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've seen the Black Lodge before, kind of what it looks like. There's the jumping guy, the electrician, you know. But have we seen the White Lodge, just straight up the White Lodge? I think whenever Cooper's, like, in there and it's, like, peaceful, I think that that's the White Lodge. And that, and then, like, when it's the Black Lodge, it's, like, the doppelgangers are there. It's very scary. Mm. There's flashing lights. Like, you, you want to run away. Like, I, uh, whether that's true or not like i don't know if that's important but that's sort of like how my brain is like framing things at this current moment which is likely to change love that okay cool um using a key uh he's stashed in his boot chad leaves the cell uh the doppelganger goes to frank's uh office as andy gets hawk chad loads a, a revolver and the drunk peels a bandage off his face Andy reaches the cell block, and Chad aims a revolver at him, taunting him. Freddy punches his cell door uh, open and uh, incapacitating Chad. Lucy then answers the front uh, phone at the front desk and is startled upon hearing the caller identify himself. Um, Doppelganger tells Frank he is in Twin Peaks for unfinished business. Lucy transfers the call to the real Cooper, to Frank, as he arrives in Twin Peaks, noticing Frank's stunned silence. The doppelganger draws his gun, as does Frank, but before either can shoot, the doppelganger is shot and apparently killed by Lucy, who remarks that she figured out how cell phones work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. The fact that Lucy gets to pull the trigger on Bad Coop is just delicious. Yeah, that's a really good choice. Lucy and Andy teaming up. It's a great, yeah. great choice. I really think that like Lucy and Andy are like the secret sauce to like this whole show. Like you can obviously tell that David Lynch cares a lot about them. Yeah, you know, I just like that it's somebody from Twin Peaks for for God's sakes. You know, I like <laughs> I like that it's a like local. You know, it, I mean that 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 was meaningful to me, and then it was somebody from the old show too. You know, totally. not not a not one of the new characters, even though they're great. I also think that the acting moments we get between Kyle MacLachlan and Robert Forrester in this scene are particularly tasty. Oh yeah, so oh, yeah. good. Uh, Cooper advises Frank to stay away from the body as Andy brings Freddie, Nato, and James up to the office. Hawk comes, uh, and the room begins to darken as Woodsmen go to the doppelganger's body to revive him. Cooper arrives with the Mitchum bros and <laughs> runs to the office as the woodsmen finish with the doppelganger and Bob contained inside a black orb is released from his body and attacks Cooper and Freddie who punches him, sending him through the ground in a blaze. Uh, the orb containing Bob attacks again. Freddie punches it once more, breaking it into pieces. What a fucking weird <laughs> thing. <laughs> I mean, when you put it like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When you're watching simple, it, it is, it is a little bit more, uh, <laughs> it feels a little bit more harrowing when you're watching it. When you are reading it out loud, it sounds like the most nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a final boss battle, like yeah. at, the, at the end of like a video game. That Totally. Did you guys, um, 
Now, Eric, I don't know why I'm compelled to ask this, but at some point you said that one of David Lynch's like failed projects or the one that he could never get off the ground. What is that called? Something Rocket? Ronnie Rocket. Ronnie Rocket. Johnny Rocket. Yeah. So Ronnie. does that have anything to do with this Freddy character at all? Um, like what? Didn't you say there was elements of that in the return? There was, and I'm trying to remember what what it was. It was not Freddy. Okay, yeah, never um, mind. I was maybe it was. I was just thinking. I, think. I was like, where does this? Where did this come from? Like, I know he's he's explained himself at the, by this point already, but I'm like, I was like, oh yeah, Freddy. I, I'm I'm always thinking to myself, oh yeah, this guy, and then he just like totally deus ex machina is the whole scene like using his glove fixes every problem <laughs> that's all well, he is yeah that's all he is he's like just a manifestation of like a deus ex machina right the funny thing is is like we've been spending this whole time talking about like these you know imaginary places like the red the red room and the black lodge and the white lodge and the firemen and all this insane shit but for some reason, Freddy, the guy who has a glove that can punch really hard, yeah. is like the most baffling part about it. <laughs> it's like the most fantastical element. It's I don't I I so a little bit of a spoiler for my take. Uh, I guess on the return, but I, you know, one of the themes of the return, I think, is just to comment on, you know, uh, entertainment in general, mm-hmm. TV and film. Absolutely. Um, and I do see this as like sort of inserting like, I don't know, maybe like a play on like a superhero kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Especially back in like what? 2017, we would have been at the yeah. freaking heights of the MCU, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. Totally. And it's like an unlikely hero that sort of like rises to the challenge, you know, like who is this nobody like that's got this random like superpower that can defeat Bob of all people. Yeah. I wish it was yeah. a Hulk hand. Like, I wish it was one of those foam <laughs> Hulk hands that he had. Cause like, I've already joked that his green glove is like a Hulk hand and he, it, like the punch is very hulking. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I wish it was one of those foam fingers. They have it. Sporting <laughs> it Budweiser on it. <laughs> uh, he just flicks so- Bob away. <laughs> he picks Bob's Cooper- nose to death. <laughs> <laughs> so I did just want to mention like that the um, these woodsmen and like the music and like the lighting effects whenever they come out. Uh, the last time we saw them was part eight when Coop got shot. This is one of my favorite just moments in like the entire series. Whenever mm-hmm. these woodsmen come out, that low like music starts playing, which I actually I, I believe is Moonlight Sonata that's just like super slowed down Ooh. and distorted. It's it creates such an atmosphere and it's so spooky and the lighting is so interesting and I just I just get chills whenever I see those woodsmen like come out. They're such a cool part of the series. Yeah, I was uh, I was noticing this time because I was really studying them like like what what perhaps what film techniques is David Lynch using to create these effects and it's like a mix of having the real woodsmen there on set to be doing those things and also superimposing their image on top of it. So it's a mix of both. So it's kind of disorienting because some shots of it, it's real people there rubbing on his body. And then some shots of the woodsmen are superimposed like from a different shot. So dancing around them in a circle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of both. It's, it's kind of like the idea of using 
animatronics and CGI together to make something look more real. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like that kind of Mm -hmm. principle where you're mixing media to sort of like make it more disorienting in a way or more, or more mysterious. Uh, yeah. Cause I think, if it, I think if it was one or the other, you know, it, we would just, we would just know the answer to the film trick and <laughs> we just go, Oh, those are real people that are just running, you know, the illusion of it would kind of be right. broken. Um, Instead he's using like four different like film techniques, like yeah. all at once, like all throughout like that fight. Yeah. And so like, it's so disorienting. You can't like keep your eyes on like one thing at a time. Totally. So it is, like, way more interesting to watch than it is like in in concept yeah that's a great that's a great point because like bob himself when he's fighting freddy is obviously a cg thing but when he when he comes out of the the floor it's a real prop you can tell it's like a real orb of shit (laughs) you know so it's like yeah it, it creates this sort of um what is it like uncanny valley or something where you're just like you can't quite tell you know something's not real but you can't quite tell what's not real right right um, and that is David Lynch shaking the camera around, by the way. Really? The shots are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a little tiny handheld camera that he like shakes like every once in a while. Like mm-hmm. um, the, the, he, he uses it a bunch in this series. Um, Cooper places the ring on the doppelganger who then disappears. The ring reaches the Black Lodge. Cooper receives his hotel room key from Frank and Gordon arrives. Cooper notices NATO as Bobby arrives. Cooper commenting that Bobby's father was aware of the events taking place. Uh, Gordon, Albert, and Tammy enter, followed by Candy, Mandy, and Sandy. Uh, NATO approaches Cooper, and her face reveals the lodge before peeling back and revealing Diane. They kiss, and Diane tells Cooper that she remembers everything. Cooper's superimposed face says, We live inside a dream, and he says he hopes to see everyone there again. So, Jeremy, this was uh, an epic fail on my part that I didn't think about when putting together the theme song for the show. Oh, really? Uh, Why? At the beginning of the theme song for our show, it's this. Cl- it's an audio clip of Cooper saying, we live inside a dream. Right. And... Uh, had I realized had had I realized that that was at in the second to last episode of the return, I probably would have. Oh, avoided. are you kidding? Because I because <laughs> I was worried that you would be waiting to hear it, dude. Like, I've been so I've been listening to that theme song, and I had no idea what the fuck it was from. Like I had oh, I had zero even <laughs> guesses because. Uh, it, but I could have guessed. I think it's at the point when um, David Lynch says it in part. Is it is it 16, 15 or 16 when he says uh, it's 14 when he has the Monica Bellucci dream? Yes, the Monica mm-hmm. Bellucci dream. Right. So when he says that's the first time I think we hear we live inside a dream in the show. Uh, I could have started guessing Actually, at that point. The first time we hear it is in Fire Walk with me when uh, Philip Jeffries says we live inside. Yeah. OK, g- good point. But. You know, remember, we're called Stan and Dave need wedding dates. So I'm thinking it could be a Kubrick thing. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm just like, okay, uh, Eric found like a weird clip from something. Maybe he even slowed it down. <laughs> like I, I have no idea what that's from. Um, so I don't think he has an epic fail at all. In fact, when I finally heard Cooper say it like that, it was so satisfying. You have no idea. It was like, yeah. Oh fuck. Right. <laughs> that was our theme song the whole time. 
Oh, yeah, and you're oh, like, yes. How I'm come so Fish glad. isn't playing 2001 right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, it was cool. It, the, it was a cool reveal when he said that. Um, also... This can we can we stop at the superimposed face real quick? Like what? Yeah. What what is the uh, what is your guys's take on the superimposed face? Like what do you think this is? Hmm. I, you know what? I don't necessarily. Um, there's you know there's theories. There's like a whole dream theory uh, that this is well there's a few different dream theories um that this is uh i think the main one is that this is laura palmer's dream like all of season three is laura palmer's dream um i don't really buy into any of the dream theories mm-hmm. um mainly because i don't want them to be true because that's a little <laughs> disappointing to me yeah but i see this as almost like cooper is like becoming aware of something bigger uh he's like outside of himself maybe and he's able to see himself i i I don't really know exactly i don't really have a good answer for you i think it's i I guess open to interpretation but i think it's more of uh it's less of like cooper is dreaming this whole thing to me and more of a like this is a pivotal moment for cooper and um yeah. Yeah, that was sort of my yeah. take too, was that it was like, oh, this is this is we're not seeing something real here. This is uh this shot is representative of his awareness or something. But like Drew, what do you think? So I do have a couple of ideas about this, and they're gonna sound stupid. But <laughs> awesome. I, I I am I am fairly confident that um from the very beginning when if you remember uh, Cooper's in the red room and um, my, uh, the one-armed man, Phil Gerard or Mike, says, uh, is it future or is it past? And then, like, that happens, like, a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then Laura, like, disappears. She, like, flies out, like, the top of the Red Room and, like, screams. Mm-hmm. And, like, after Laura is gone, you see, like, you see Cooper, like, look to the side and, like, look up. And I believe from that moment on, because he cannot leave until Bad Coop is back in the Red Room, right? right? So he manifests season three as his dream. And so everything that we see play out over the course of, like, parts three through, like, now, like, Cooper's dream of, like, how to, like, return... Uh, Coop to the Red Room so that he can finally leave. And so once once time hits 2.53, which adds up to 10, which is the number of completion, which is some like real David Lynch like numerology shit that he loves, <laughs> um, th- this timeline is over. So his voice... So when we see his face pop up, I believe that we are seeing maybe a reflection of his face on a television screen watching this play out from the red room. I love like, that. How you can see your face reflected on the TV. Like if yeah. there's a glare, I believe that we're seeing him like come aware, like, Oh, I've been asleep in the stream. Now I remember where I actually am and what's going on here. And then we have sort of a like wizard of Oz, like moment. Oh. Drew, I love it. Let's let's get let's get crazy, my man. Let's let's yeah. uh, let's go nuts here. We were talking a little bit before you joined Jeremy about. I was telling Drew that I have uh, 
this recent rewatch of The Return, I've had a very like meta read of it. Like sure. a very like uh there are certain things um uh, I guess I, g- I could get into the Audrey thing, but I love your idea that uh, that this is Cooper's uh, Cooper's face is like the reflection on the TV screen. Maybe this moment is him like realizing that he's a TV show character, he's right. like a character <laughs> in, in a show. My read of dreams in Twin Peaks isn't like okay, I'm falling asleep and now I'm having these visions sure. in my mind. <laughs> sure. Dreams, dreams in Twin Peaks to me are the stories that are created and then put on television. They're, right. they're TV shows. Yeah. And I have this uh, sort of working theory that uh, is probably pretty easily, pretty easily uh, can be shut down and you could poke holes into it because I haven't thought about it too much. But I think that like there's there are certain things in Twin Peaks in The Return where we are seeing characters who are not in the show Twin Peaks, and we are seeing them exist in other TV shows. So there's all these characters like in the, in the, um, you know, in the roadhouse, there's all these characters. We don't know who the fuck they are. We see them one time. Right. Um, There's sort of a backstory with uh, Audrey uh, or with Sherilyn Fenn with, she was originally upset with her, storyline in season three. Oh, really and why i wonder why <laughs> no her original her original storyline oh really she, she liked she this made one david lynch <laughs> she made david lynch like rewrite it or they worked on something together Re- uh, he came up with something new for her and i have a theory that this that it's like sort of a a, a meta like a like a reference to what actually happened in real life like there's the line where he says Charlie says, do you want me to end your story too? And there's, um, you know, it, it all kind of like culminates to this moment where she's in this sort of surreal, like incredibly unrealistic situation where she's in this place that she used to go to 25 years ago and they all clear the dance floor and they announce this song that she used to dance to as Audrey's dance and clear the floor for her to have this big sort of like comeback moment 25 years later and then it's interrupted by just like a random bar fight and then she wakes up and my theory is that when she wakes up in that white space yeah that is Sherilyn Fenn that is not Audrey Horn that's Sherilyn Fenn Oh, big into this. Wow. I love it. <laughs> also I'll throw this out there and we'll we haven't gotten to the Richard and Linda stuff yet but I think there uh, could be a case to be made that Richard and Linda and uh, Carrie Page are Kyle McLaughlin and uh, Cheryl Lee exi- uh, in another in Laura Dern in another television show. Oh, weird. Yeah. No, I, li- I like this read too a lot. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> this is. I'm not saying I fully believe this either. I'm just saying, like. I should have fucking Yesterday, smoked. I kind of had doing? this idea. <laughs> and, uh, I should have fucking got high before this, dude. You didn't even warn me. You didn't warn me we were going to go this way. <laughs> I, I do yeah. think it's kind of important. To, I just want to get this out that, like, I think trying to find concrete answers to all this stuff, like A is B, uh, all, everything, like 
matches up nicely interpretations that's fine but i do think that this series is mostly experiential and the best oh, option yeah. is to just sort of like turn your brain off and just like experience like the the craziness that's like going on i i totally so i happens. love that except i i would just add one addendum to that like I think go whole hog into the numerology stuff and the <laughs> yeah. what means what as long as you're having fun. Because I think that's what David yeah. Lynch... I think he loves it because it's fun for him. And I think mm-hmm. it should be fun for you too. But like at the point when you're online being like, no, it's this and this means that, like then, it's, totally. then, it, then it stops being fun, right? Then it's like you telling somebody else what the what is real and what is not about it when it is so up for interpretation like uh i think everybody's idea of it's valid but it's fun to hear people's different interpretations and it's fun when people do arrive at some pretty interesting places like when you're talking about the numerology stuff you know my brain thinks like works that way so i i get like endorphin rushes when you start talking about the different the number of the cooper's room versus what time everything has to be to blah 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 i go like oh this is my this is my shit i love this so uh i i think i think investigating that is really fun but when it stops serving you then i would say just you know you're in a you're in a different you're you're doing something else at that point (laughs) i totally agree uh, one more thing I want to add on to that is that I do think that there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of people involved in this show and like, we don't want to discount like Mark Frost's, uh, like contributions to this show. Yeah. But a really interesting question is like, what does David Lynch think is going on? Because yes. I guarantee you how he has like a very specific idea of what is going on. That's probably based on numerology and like, um, the unified field and like, um, uh, transcendental meditation, like the stuff that is like very like Lynch to like talk about. Yeah. I think I mentioned this on another episode, but I was reading that director's book that David Lynch, um, it's basically a book of just like random articles that were written about him in interviews and one interview they're do they're talking about i believe the film is um lost highway and the interviewer is literally just saying his theories about it and david lynch is sitting there in with you can just tell with delight saying like <laughs> saying hot and cold like if the guy gets right. closer <laughs> to what he thinks it is david lynch will go now you got it there you go hot or he'll be like nah not quite there yet he'll be like cuz i think david lynch for all of his like you know, this is up for interpretation. It's art. So it's like kind of whatever you want it to be. He does like, there is sort of like his idea about things and, and a proper way to watch these, his films. And I think he does enjoy it when people seem to sort of take from it, what he took from it, creating it. Totally. Yeah. Like I do think he has like some points that he's trying to get across and like maybe we should save this to the end and like try to like yeah, power through like, sure. <laughs> some of the plot here but like i do think david lynch has some concrete ideas about like what's going on here cool uh the room darkens and cooper diane and gordon walk through darkness they walk through the great northern hotel furnace room following the sound they reach a door and cooper advises them not to follow him he enters the door and meets Mike, who recites uh, the Fire Walk With Me chant before being transported to the convenience store. They reach the Dutchman's and meet Jeffries to discuss the date, February 23rd, 1989. He gives him instructions to find Judy, and out of the steam, an owl cave symbol turns into two diamonds 
And then in eight, Cooper is transported out. Drew, do you have a take on the on the number eight here on this symbol? That, that's gotta be an infinity symbol, right? Yeah. I, I I would think so, yeah. What it do you think, Jeremy? It takes the owl symbol and transforms it into like an infinity symbol, sort of like how you like rewatch like Twin Peaks like over and over again. We're finding like a spot to like return to. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah, um, I had no I had no idea. I, I when I saw the eight, I was like I yeah I mean I I don't know I was like I was like oh I'll look this shit up later that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, the night of her death, Laura leaves her home with James as Leland watches. Cooper oh, is transported oh. nearby Laura and James when uh and it, when he is spotted by her she screams. Um, is this all? Did you remember this? No. What this is, is this in from? Fire Walk with me. Oh, this fuck. is just straight from Fire Walk with me. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, is that moment where Laura like screams, like that's all in there. So in Fire Walk with Me, what we see is like she's just talking, like her and James are are just talking or whatever, and she looks off in the distance and screams at something, but we don't know what it is. So right. Lynch just inserted Dale Cooper into that. Wow. You just sort of assume at the time that she's like paranoid, she's like high, she's like, you know, she's not in her right mind. But now there's like, oh, she saw Dale Cooper. Yeah. 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 Wow. Uh, after James starts to take her home, she jumps off the bike. And after telling James she loves him, every time I see this scene where she is screaming, I love you, James, mm-hmm. right into his face. I just can't help but think how loud it must have been for, <laughs> for, for him. For the actor, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's got a great scream. I'll say that. She does. She's got a yeah. perfect scream. Like and, and and like we'll get to it a little later in the next episode, but even as an older woman, her scream is so on point. <laughs> uh she runs off into the woods as James rides off. Leo Ronette and Jacques wait for Laura, but she encounters Cooper, recognizing him from a dream. Uh, he reaches out to her, and she goes to him. Laura's body disappears from outside Blue Pine Lodge, and yeah. Cooper tells Laura that they are going home. Uh, as Josie does her makeup, Pete kisses Catherine and goes fishing. Does not see a dead body. Uh, Sarah uh, wails inside her home, and she tries to destroy Laura's homecoming photo. Uh, and then Cooper... <laughs> What's that? Eyes and fails. I mean, she's like pounding away at that photo, but like the glass. It's nothing's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like she can't destroy Laura. <laughs> yeah, that's a really. Yeah, I love that read. I do you? Th- yeah. Did it, it didn't mention on here? Oh, it does. Laura's body disappears from the outside. Yeah. That, I thought. I just wanted to m- make sure and mention that I thought that was a cool effect. I liked. I liked. Oh, I liked yeah. that effect. <laughs> Uh, Cooper leads Laura through the woods toward the portal at Blue Pine Mountain, but she disappears and he hears her screams. Uh, and then Julie Cruz, we finally get Julie Cruz. She performs The World Spins. Yeah, that was um, cool. Julie Cruz looking good totally. 25 years later. This is the same song that plays at the end of um, right after Maddie gets killed when Le- uh, Leland is oh. the killer. So at the end of season two, episode seven, which is like the last episode that David Lynch like directed before he came back for the finale. 
Yeah, hmm. that's uh, it's the same song that plays then. Oh wow! Did not know that. Yeah, did you guys read that article about Julie Cruz and David Lynch? How like the their like tumultuous relationship, like of not getting along all the time, and like her not wanting to come back for the return at all. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah, I that... you get the impression from that article that yeah. she might be just might be just going through some stuff, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe isn't like you know totally. Not in a wasn't in a good place when this whole return stuff started uh, coming together. Like she was making remarks to the effect of like, "Oh, I don't want to always be known for this project or whatever." But it's like, ooh, twenty five years later, I don't know if <laughs> it might be too late. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I I remember hearing something about her maybe not being stoked about being uh, not being as included in the return or something. So maybe um, it, she maybe is it, just a little in a little part. Yeah. So maybe that was it here. then she did articles about how she didn't, she wanted to be in more of it. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be a common um, theme because uh, Michael Anderson, the guy who plays the, the, the little man, the, the arm, he's like not invited back for like some shady reasons. Apparently. Yeah, he uh, look that look, just look that up, Jeremy. I don't want to. I don't even really want to talk about that. Uh, yeah, he accused David Lynch of some pretty dark, dark stuff. And, he did. Yeah. Uh, so part eighteen, uh, Cooper's do- doppelganger sits in the lodge, Black Lodge, surrounded by flames, uh, where he belongs. <laughs> Mike creates a new Dougie Jones who shows up at the Jones home. Greeted by Janie E. and Sonny Jim. Uh, Cooper leads Laura through the woods and she disappears. Cooper hears her screams. So, Drew, if I'm remembering correctly, there's that sound effect um, when Laura disappears that's kind of like a scratching sound. It's the same sound from like the very beginning of the series when yes. uh, the fireman is sitting down with, across from Cooper and it's black and white. And he's like, listen to the sound. And he's like giving all these like clues like the giant like likes to do. And so when that sound comes back, we're like our memory goes back to like the very beginning. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um Cooper sits in the lodge near Mike, who asks, Is it future or is it past? Cooper observes the chair Laura sat in and he follows Mike to the evolution of the arm, which asks if it is the story about the little girl who lives down the lane. Laura whispers in Cooper's ear and she is lifted, screaming through the lodge ceiling. Cooper goes to Leland, uh, who tells him to find Laura. He goes through billowing curtains to uh, Glastonbury Grove, where Diane waits and asks if it is really him, which he asks the same of her. So Cooper, is this is in the Black Lodge, right? So all this stuff where he sees Leland. Mm-hmm. This is like the reset because we've already seen some of this stuff at the very beginning. So we've been sort of like, sh- I mean, the right. Laura Palmer mystery like never happened. Uh, Twin Peaks. I mean, at this point in the series, like never happened. Um, and now we're just left with Dale Cooper, like in the red room, like, now he can like leave because Bad Coop is inside. Do have we seen Leland say "Find Laura" before in the return? 
can't remember whether he did or not. It would have been at the very beginning, like part one or part two. Because uh, I guess I'm wondering, like, what the motivation is for him to find Laura. Well, I just he's already saved her. It's like meta. It's sort of like go find Laura. Like Laura, is, Laura is Twin Peaks. I mean, we're told over, yeah. and over and over and over that Laura is the one. There is no Twin Peaks without the mystery of an investigation of the Laura Palmer. Like, yeah, uh, like I mean, we saw literally. Like, once the Laura Palmer mystery was, like, wrapped up, like, in season two, like, the show was dead. Like, there is no show without history of Laura Palmer. So, like, Leland saying, like, hey, go find Laura. It's like, oh, that we need to go find Laura because there's, like, no show to support with, like, without her. Right. Yeah. There's... Um, so is this when does that happen? When does he say go find Laura? Like, what, what is the order of things? So it's Cooper's doppelganger lights on fire. We see some. We see some of the scenes we've already seen. So Dougie Jones greeted by Janie and Sunny Jim. Cooper leads Laura through the woods, disappears. Uh, when when do we see Leland in this episode? Yeah, um, yeah, in the Black Lodge. It's right after Laura um, is lifted out of the Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cooper goes and he sees Leland, and Leland tells him to find Laura. And then Cooper goes through the curtains to Glastonbury Grove where he finds Diane. Um, oh, okay, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and one more, uh, before we get to this part, one more question for you, Drew, because I don't... Uh, I, I, I don't know what to make of the 430. Do you know anything about the significance of the 430? The 430, number? I mean... The numbers add up to seven, which I know David Lynch cares a lot about. That's like a lucky number, lucky seven insurance. Uh, everything is always on the seventh floor of something. Oh. Uh, if you look in Blue Velvet, like Dorothy Valance's uh, apartment is on the seventh floor. Um, in Fire Walk With Me, uh, the FBI like headquarters where uh, that elevator that Dave, uh, David Bowie exits out of, it's floor number mm. seven. So, like, you'll see seven pop up, like, everywhere in Twin Peaks. So I don't know if it has any more significance other than, like, seven's a lucky number, and David Lynch likes... David Lynch will literally set his, like, alarms, like, on his phone to, like, add up to, like, certain numbers for himself. Like, that's how... So whenever I see numbers in Twin Peaks, I'm always, like, adding them up, multiplying them, subtracting them, seeing seeing what they do. Um, Yeah, I like that. Uh, Cooper and Diane drive 430 miles. Uh, Diane advising Cooper that their destination will not be what he expects. Upon arrival, he gets out of the car and observes his surroundings. He returns to Diane, confirming it's the right place. They kiss before driving through a portal, which transports them to a dark road. Uh, this whole part, very Lost Highway vibes. Oh, yeah. Um, totally. And, and of course, reach- Blue Velvet vibes can't... Oh, yeah. Can't not have Blue Velvet vibes when you have this cast, right? Kyle MacLachlan, Laura Dern, kissing on screen. You kidding me? Um, <laughs> they, they re- Two deafening it is, it is silence. Really Two deafening silence on this podcast, I'll have you know. I'm speechless. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a huge moment just to see like the gang back together. It's like, I mean, these are literally like David Lynch's like 
buddies, you know, like they, they probably all like live like in like basically the same area, like in Hollywood. Like, um, it's just cool just to see literal like buddies, like on like a cool project like this, just like doing really experimental shit. Like I just like seeing them all together. Yeah, for sure. They reach a motel and Cooper goes inside while sitting in the car. Diane sees herself briefly before Cooper returns. They enter a motel room and, well, they have sex. <laughs> they sure do. Yeah, they do. It's, that, it's very that extended. <laughs> That's a very extended sex scene that I had to turn down because I was getting... It was so long that I was getting uncomfortable with my roommates, like, hearing me watch <laughs> this sex scene. <laughs> yeah. Because it was like... She was, like, panting to the beat of the, whatever the song was, and it was like, yeah. uh, I'm going to just turn it a little down. So I think the t- thing with, like, the touching of the face and stuff is Diane, this is, like, she's, like, watching the transformation of, like, uh, I guess Cooper to Richard or, you know, whatever it is is happening. Whatever they did by crossing through that portal, she's witnessing it happen, like, while they're having sex. Um, Right. Either that or she's remembering uh, the time that Evil Coop doppelganger coop uh assaulted her absolutely i think I had, it's both at the same time uh i mean they're literally like shedding their identities by like having some sort of intercourse of you know i don't know what what kind of ritual this is but it seems like they're on the other side of whatever they're doing right now is going to be like completely different mm-hmm um, in the morning, Cooper wakes up alone and looks for Diane, finding a note for Richard signed by Linda, telling him that she was gone and not to find her. He leaves the motel, noticing that it and his car are different from those that were there before. Uh, Cooper reaches Odessa, finding a cafe shop called uh, ca- a cafe shop, coffee shop called Eat <laughs> at Judy's. Uh, he goes inside and asks the waitress serving him if there were it was another one who worked there, but he is told that it is the other waitress's day off. He spots a group of men harassing the waitress, tells them to stop. They threaten him. Uh, he incapacitates two of them and uh, has the other one stand down. He has the waitress gives, give him the other waitress's address, and he places the guns in a deep fryer, which um, seems like a bad idea. And yeah, he even uh, warns he the cook that if the gun, you might want to back up because the bullets might just start discharging because of the heat. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, hey, buddy, <laughs> put the gun, just take them with you. I don't know. D- don't put them in there. Also, food goes in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those fries are going to taste weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, did you guys also know- Oh, sorry. Go on. I love the part where he literally asked the waitress, like, where does this go? Like, what do I do with this, like, basket of fries? And she's like, this is so awesome. (laughs) What is the point of that? Yeah. Did you guys notice that also he's talking like evil Coop throughout the rest of this? It's interesting. He he does seem different uh, in a number of ways. Slower. This doesn't seem like something that the Dale Cooper that we know would have done uh, necessarily. And... One thing I will say is I believe Kyle McLaughlin has said in an interview that when he was playing this Richard character, he was instructed to play it as Cooper, as as good 
regular Dale Cooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's not my experience I watching I, it because yeah, he's not my he's idea. like he's like. Is there anyone else who works here? He's like uh, he's like drawing out his dialogue yeah. as if he was the evil Coop. He doesn't get excited about the coffee in front of him either, which is a huge yeah. like, giveaway because we've seen bad Coop like turn down coffee before, and then like good Coop is like, is the coffee on? Um, so I think that's always a clue. I kind of like to think of this as like an integrated like Coop, like he's finally like whole again. oh yeah i like that yeah or yeah i like that uh they drive gary reminiscing about odessa and stopping at a gas station oh okay he goes to the waitress's (laughs) home spotting a utility pole outside with the number six part (laughs) um similar to the uh utility pole outside the fat trout trailer park there uh he knocks on the door and the waitress resembling laura opens it confused about uh, his calling her Laura. She tells him her name is Carrie Page, but he insists that she is Laura. Offers to take her home in Twin Peaks. Uh, having already been needing to leave town, she agrees to go with him. As she gets ready to leave, Cooper goes inside, seeing a dead man on the couch and a white figure of a horse. Horse, uh, baby. Horse is back. Oh, white yeah. Horse. They drive... Carrie reminiscing about Odessa and stopping at a gas station on the way. At one point, they notice a car's headlights behind them and wonder if they are being followed, only for it to harmlessly pass them. Yeah, they play the Incubus song Drive as they're <laughs> yeah, driving. Yeah. yeah. Um, they reach Twin Peaks, uh, but Carrie does not recognize anything. Uh, they arrive at the Palmer home and listen to some more Incubus and then Cooper. <laughs> they watch a live the DVD of Incubus. <laughs> <laughs> Cooper knocks on the door, but a stranger answers, not recognizing the name Sarah Palmer and saying that she purchased the home from a Mrs. Chelfont. <gasps> the woman identifies herself as Alice Tremond <gasps> and Cooper and Carrie walk away from the home perplexed. Tremond? Now, Jeremy, Chalfont? <laughs> My God! Yeah, sound familiar? Yeah. So I, Mrs. Chalfont, and I did have to look this up. Okay, I'm not a genius. It's the old woman from the sh- the sh- series with David Lynch's creepy son in the suit. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but who is Tremont again? What that name is familiar? That is d- just another name that the Chalfonts use, I believe. Oh, like an alias. Oh, that right? other character is some sort of lodge entity along with her grandson, and like she's gone by two different names at different points throughout the series and the movie. So Tremont Chalfont—they're like the same thing. So the uh, but- the woman is also probably an agent of the Black Lodge too. Perhaps the. So the woman who plays Alice Tremont, Jeremy, mm-hmm. my God, is the real owner of this house in real life. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's Her name cool. is Mary Reber, and she like still like owns that home, and will like apparently is very very nice. Like if you like contact her ahead of time, like she'll like show you around or something. That's fucking so clever. I. Love that. I love that. Uh, my only complaint is I wish he would have done something with her name. The woman who owns the house, her name in the show. Like had that had that as like a little Easter egg in there. 
Totally. You know what this reminds me of, though? Do you remember in season two when Donna goes to serve the Meals on Wheels to, like, the uh, grandma and the grandson? And then she mm-hmm. comes back a second time, and it's, like, a different woman altogether. But with the same name, right? Or no? Which, she, her last name is Chalfonto Tremont. I can't remember. Yeah. But there's yeah. always, like, these little switcheroos of, like, you go back to a place, and then, like, someone... Oh, that person never existed. We don't know what you're talking about. Like I've been right. here the whole time. What? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I do. Yeah, I do yeah. kind of remember that. Yeah. Um. So, lost in thought, Cooper hesitates as they get to the car. Turns back in the direction of the house, sensing something is not right. He asks what year it is. Uh, Carrie turns to look at the for at the former Palmer home and hears Sarah shouting, "Laura!" She suddenly screams like Laura. Startling Cooper and causing the lights in the house to go dark. Yes. Um, and this scream is the exact same scream that we hear that Laura does in Fire Walk With Me in that just horrifying scene where she's being assaulted mm-hmm. by Bob and she f- realizes that it's Leland. Right. She's yeah, the she's exact like, same who scream. Are you? Who are you? And then like Leland's face reveals to her. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so it really isn't her voice. Then it's it's like uh, her old scream being brought back. Okay, so forget what I said earlier about uh, she's still <laughs> she still got it. She might still got it, but TBD. We don't know. Jeremy, I want to know. Uh, I want to know what you think of the ending. Of um, course. And I want to know what do you th- what do you think it all means, my man? What does it mean to you? Okay, so. First of all, I want to say that that her screaming in, in the house, all the lights going dark, is not the last scene uh, in my oh, right. in my book. It, I think we- it is the last actual scene, but what's rolling over the credits is this incredibly haunting shot of Kyle MacLachlan's face very close up while Sarah Palmer is whispering into his ear. And to Laura me- Palmer? Yeah, did I say Sarah? I meant Laura Palmer. Yeah. So that to me is the canning last shot. A canon last shot of the show is like we get this scream, this big abrupt thing, and then and then it's like boom, we just see very dark Kyle McLaughlin just like so horrified looking at the looking almost into camera as Laura Palmer is whispering into his ear. I'm not this doesn't add up to anything. I'm not saying like I have a theory based on this. I'm just saying like had that last shot not been in there, I think the ending would have just been marginally less impactful. I just think that was a very, um, I, I very much approved of that choice of that being the last thing we see is Cooper being, you know, whispered to by Laura Palmer in whatever context that happened to be in. I love that last shot. That's I guess what I'm trying to say. So spooky. It's so spooky. I, I, I really love it. And the the music or the sound design like around it, and I feel like it's going in reverse. It's so <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's so awesome. So obviously I'm like a huge art nerd and like a film freakazoid and I really like choices like this. I really love that the that the whole show ends on arguably another cliffhanger. <laughs> Which is like the biggest joke of all because that was a huge thing for season two. Like people really didn't love that the show ends forever on a cliffhanger. Like 
even back in the day, people were like upset at that and always wanted, you know, a resolution to it. And I think to just get, not give them that again is the funniest and coolest yeah. thing. <laughs> and arguably leave them with more questions. Way more, <laughs> way more questions. I mean, I, I mean the, the questions I have about what happened to the Mitchum bros alone could fill a room. Oh yeah. But I, I, uh, so of course I love it. I think it's the perfect ending. I hope I'm, I'm both of the mind where I hope they never do another thing again. And I hope that they do a thing again. Cause I know, I know at this point, if they were to ever bring back twin peaks for a fourth time, uh, or I guess if this is the second time, then a third time, it would be just as captivating, just as intriguing, just as mysterious. So, um, to me, what the show means is when you highlighted Eric for me, that twin peaks is really about doppelgangers in general. It's the idea of like dark and light twin, like twins or, or twos or mm-hmm. things coming in pairs or, you know, um, things not being whole, but being halves of each other, stuff like that. The theme of, of two or doubles, uh, I, I really felt like the show was show, like kind of just like ex like it, almost like exploiting that theme to its absolute limits right of like how how much can we push this idea how much can we further this this like loose kind of concept of how people seem to be there's a duality in people right there's light and dark like you know it was pointed out in like some one of these one of these fucking film critique essays where it was like every character in the show has an evil and light side to them. Like mm-hmm. most of the yep. characters are, are, are good, but having an affair, <laughs> you know, like they all are, everyone's sleeping with each other, but they're also so nice and sweet. Like they're, it, everyone is sort of dealing with this idea that they are a duality. So why not just represent that? corporeally right why not just represent that with like literally there's an evil cooper and a and a good cooper um i do think that the ending is that they go into an alternate reality like now eric you said maybe it's a different show that might be uh, it might be just a different they're in someone else's they're in they're on the they're on cheers now (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh they just don't realize it um i do think it's a different reality i think there is still the reality where judy is hell-bent on destroying Laura Palmer. I think Laura Palmer is the key to saving it all. Uh, I feel like, you know, after the after the credits roll, it's, it's either that Cooper has ultimately failed or that what we don't see is the rest of the adventure where they have to get back to the original reality so that Laura can face Judy in some sort of, you know, ultimate end battle. Because Judy, I think, is... Correct me if I'm wrong, but is is Judy the thing that births Bob out of its mouth? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, okay. So if we're saying that's Judy, then we, we'd, we, we'd have to be like, well, okay, well, Judy is the ultimate, ultimate boss, right? Like, uh, you know, like Bob is Sephiroth, and uh, Judy is the <laughs> meteor hitting the Earth, or Genova, or whatever, right? It's like, it is a it is a thing that's left undone back in back where they, they come from. Um, 
So that is that is sort of my interpretation. I don't know if that's if that's other people's interpretation. If that's right, that's sort of what I was kind of mulling on, and then watched a couple of things, and I was like, okay, this seems to be like pretty. You know, a couple of different people seem to have this same kind of interpretation, where it's like, you know, Judy is this. Maybe even Judy sent them to where they are now. You know, something like that. Um, but yeah, ultimately, the confusion of like who, what that what that thing was that crawled into little Sarah Palmer's mouth, and who is Bob, and how does Bob play into it, uh was was ultimately i think kind of wrapped up and that like sarah palmer is not bob bob is not in sarah palmer it is most likely this thing called judy and um laura palmer is still kind of like the the discussion we had around episode eight where laura is sort of their answer to this ultimate evil the fireman threw laura out there into the world like go go help us with this or whatever um that's kind of my interpretation i don't know guys what lay it on me what's what's two twin peaks to- heads i love got it to say? i love i i'm so happy that you uh enjoyed the ending I, i'm really really happy about that and Into yeah it. you you know nobody uh no theory is wrong and no theory is right and i love your interpretation uh it's 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 truly great it's great to hear what uh what what you take away from from the return uh having seen it for the first time and uh yeah i like yeah i i like that a lot i like that a lot um drew let's let's get crazy my man what do you uh, lay it on us what do you think what does this all mean insert a bong sound effect in here first yes and you have 15 seconds (laughs) (laughs) so oh my goodness i think the Something that we have to keep in mind and something we haven't talked about a bunch is that I don't think it can be underestimated how traumatized David Lynch was or how sad he was when the uh, when audience pressure and like ABC like forced him to reveal the like the killer and that that was a huge turning point in sort of like the history of Twin Peaks as a TV show and as a narrative, at least to David, in David Lynch's mind, that was like a real evil. The whole point of Twin Peaks to him was to have like a continuing story, something that was never going to be fully like wrapped up, sort of like The Fugitive, where it's like you might check in with a one-armed man, but like that's not really the point. It's just sort of like a backdrop for like these other mysteries you're going to investigate from like week to week. But... Quickly, I think David Lynch learned that like audiences like demand answers <laughs> and for things to be like wrapped up. And I think that audience craving answers in the same way that like both all versions of Cooper crave like answers to like the ultimate solution. So I think what we're seeing is a like Twin Peaks return that's not the same show and knows it's not the same show and is trying to tell you it's not the same show. I mean, how many reboots have you seen where it's like trying to hit the same notes, but it feels false. It's not right. And you get that feeling in Twin Peaks, the return too. It's like, this is not the same show. It's not a soap opera. Like it's not 
even really a murder mystery. It's uh, it's not the same show. There's no the score is very limited. It's very violent. It's a completely different show than Twin Peaks. And I think the point of this all is that you Cooper's trying to bring Laura back home for what reason? Like wh- why is Cooper doing any of these things? What would be the point of bringing Laura back to her home where she was abused over and over and over again? It's just this insistence from Cooper really is a stand-in for the audience. Then he represents like all of our like intentions to like we demand more Twin Peaks. We want it back, but like can we ever really get it back? I think the answer is no. And I think when when Cooper and uh, Diane enter sort of like this other world, I think they are shedding their identities. They're having like an identity crisis. They're entering another world, whether it's that, whether that's the real world that we live in, kind of, or if it's another television show or just like a pocket dimension or a shared dream between Cooper and Laura. I think these are all sort of on the edge of like what's going on here. And so when he brings Laura, who is not Laura, which is a paradox, like back to her home, which is not the Palmer residence, it belongs to this other family, and and Laura Palmer never existed, like, at the end. I think that's what we're supposed to know. Um, They're just sort of, like, left with this horrifying reality that, like, we're in a TV show, we destroyed the entire point of the TV show, there's no (laughs) more TV show, it's over. I love that. What year is it? I mean, what year is it? You know, like he's trying to explain it to himself. He has no idea where he is. He's just been on this odyssey. And now, like, what did he do? He just destroyed Twin Peaks. Like, the, he, he saved Laura Palmer. But in saving Laura Palmer from being killed, he destroyed the entire TV show that existed in the first place. Wow. And that's sort of my idea. <laughs> I love that, wow. Drew. You know, I'm 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 sort of uh, at a loss for words because you kind of said almost exactly <laughs> what I would have said. <laughs> um, but to to expand on this idea, you know, um, the so what I like about the the Twin Perfect video uh, that you've referenced uh, that that long ass YouTube explainer video. I, I gotta say I've rewatched parts of it, and I I think that guy takes makes some assumptions and leaps that are a little uh, I don't buy into totally. But I, he does bring up a lot of good points, and I kind of agree with his overall like thesis, uh, which is that at the time that the original uh, run of Twin Peaks aired all of the crime drama TV shows in this sort of genre were episodic. Um, the, you found out who the killer was at the end of every episode and you never really got to know the, the actual victims. Um, so it created this sort of landscape of like just consumable violence and disposable victims in television. And his, the Twin Perfect theory is that Twin Peaks was created to balance that out. Because we know that the original idea was for, that David Lynch had was to never reveal who the killer was. And I think that Twin Peaks is a show about the victim. 
It's a show. It's not a show about the mystery. It's a show about the victim. The whole show, ev- like you said, everything's connected back to Laura Palmer. Uh, we, you know, it, if we were to get the Laura Palmer murder mystery in a CSI episode, all we would know about Laura Palmer is like, oh, high school girl started doing cocaine, mm-hmm. uh, right. started, you know, having sex, uh, downward spiral, got murdered doing something illegal or promiscuous. Uh right. But what we get from Twin Peaks is we learn that this girl was victim of, like, one of the most disturbing things imaginable, but also had this, like, double life, was equally, if not more, good than she was bad. And we get to learn about how her death affects this community. And everyone we know and everything we see is connected, can be linked back to Laura Palmer and her death. And I do that that idea that Cooper represents the viewer from the Twin Perfect uh, uh, video. I like that a lot, and I like to view. Um, I don't know if this is from his his theory or not, uh, or if this is something I came up with. Uh, I think it might be part of his theory, but so the people, the the network, and the people demanded closure. And ultimately derailed what was the original purpose of the show, which was to never solve, never reveal who the killer was. Um, and this completely, you know, derailed the show. And if we're if we're looking at Cooper as the audience, he starts off as this very chipper, kind of like uh, funny, like eager guy who's just excited by everything. And he learns more and more about Laura Palmer and the sort of underbelly of this town and gets a little bit more somber and david lynch gets you know frustrated with how things happen with the network and having to reveal the killer and he kind of disowns the show for a while and he comes back to direct this finale where i think what he's saying is like cooper was cooper in season one was like your chance to be like a good like, I gave you a chance to have this thing uh, that's so much different than what you're used to that where you actually are, like, humanizing the victims of these TV shows and you can ex- exist in this mystery forever if you want to. But you demanded closure, so now this is what you are. You're this evil version of yeah. this Cooper character. You literally killed Laura Palmer. You did. Yeah. The audience. Because if, if you interpret yes. him turning into Bob... At the end, it's like the audience did turn it. Bob infected the audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, as far as the return goes, I you know, there's a lot of themes in it. I, my favorites are it, just a comment on revival shows and nostalgia. And I was I was like you, Jeremy, when I was watching it for the first time. I got frustrated with Dougie at times. Um, I remember being pretty upset with the Audrey storyline uh, at first. And, you know, there were certain things like it took me a long time to, to sort of a- adjust and accept the fact that we weren't going to spend that much time in Twin Peaks in Twin Peaks season three. Mm-hmm. And what I think is important about that isn't how it makes you feel, but why it makes you feel that way. Mm. Like, why is it that we... Um, 
why why does it make us like sad or uncomfortable that this thing that we wanted to come back for so long isn't exactly what it once was, even though it's been 25 years. Like, <laughs> what do we value about the show? Do we value just see, do we just want to see those characters again and see what they're up to for nostalgia's sake? Mm-hmm. Or do we actually value like the creators behind the show and their vision? And do we trust and want, and want to, uh, you know, see exactly what they want to show us. And I don't think, I'm not saying like, I'm not shaming anyone for like being frustrated with Dougie or anything like that. Cause like I said, I felt the same way, right. but I and think I, it's important to think about why you feel that way. And I think it's a, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe says something about this state of bringing back TV shows and trying to just, redo what's been done before it for what purpose you know what i mean like yeah what purpose does it serve other than like it just tickles the little nostalgia part of our brain (laughs) Um, well i mean that's when you start asking those questions you start going well what's what is the purpose of literally anything or creating or making anything like i because i do think i if i may argue for the audience on behalf of the audience for just a second like what I am miss, what I did miss from this iter- this iteration of Twin Peaks was the tone and rhythm of a show I really really liked, and that has not been replaced. So, you know, yeah, I know that I can just go back and watch season one of Twin Peaks if I want to any old time, and I will forever. But I mean. <laughs> What I what I what I get what I love if David Lynch did make a straight up here's just what life is like now in Twin Peaks and that was the reboot and maybe there was no mystery attached or drama or mer- like yeah I would like that because I liked the tone of the show and I liked the characters in the show so I don't and I don't think it's wrong to like those things or to want mm-hmm. them to come back or to have been bummed out that David Lynch didn't do it the way you wanted. But if you're a flexible enough fan and you happen to like art and like cool and fun choices, I think that this, this will also be right up your alley. But, but overall I, you know, my one, well, I still would like, I would have liked a little bit more Cheryl and Fenn, but that is indicative of my other big kind of takeaway is like, yeah, I like, I like that it's a comment on revival shows and reboots and, and whatnot. And I, and I like that. And I like that David Lynch is sort of showing you something that's perhaps more beautiful than just a straight up, Hey, here's what's going on with these people now. But I did like those people and I did like those characters and they're, they are getting older and it would be cool to just, you know, hang out with them a little bit more. And in this, I think that there was an opportunity to do a little bit more inside the town of Twin Peaks and also get across everything, Eric, you're kind of talking about. Like, I, I think you yeah. I think you could have done, yeah. you could have had your cake and eaten it too. Um, and I think in ways the show did kind of, you know, do it sometimes, but there, there was a lot of like, hey man, let's cut all the people talking at the bar. Like, like... Give me, you know what I mean? Like the people talking about Bill and Stacy and Ned or whatever, like all these characters will never see or never know. Like, I mean, that's just kind of pointless or a red herring at the very least. But that's just my, yeah, that's just my take is like walking away I from th- it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like I said, I'm not like, uh, you know, I, I I want like I want those things too, but I also in the same way I'm like, I I think I like what we got more than what the alternative might have been. I, th- I, mean, I, don't I know think what the this is I think this been. is better than the original show, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. I absolutely think so. Yeah. And I think this is sort of analogous to that moment when, do you remember when Dougie is in that like meeting and uh, he steals like Phil, like one of those characters, like coffees. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of the guys at the table is like, well, what about my coffee? So he gets that green tea latte <laughs> instead. And he like, at first he doesn't want to like it, but then after a couple sips, he's like, Hmm, kind of, kind of like this. <laughs> <laughs> It becomes his new favorite. Yeah, and it's like you didn't even know you wanted that, and now you now you have it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Totally. So I think yeah. that's kind of a metaphor for what's going on. I I love um, that. I forgot about that scene too. But that is that is absolutely true. Where, you know, I think I was primed to like any kind of roller coaster David Lynch wanted to take me on, especially with right. Showtime's yeah. money. Are you kidding me? But um, but this was something where I'm like, oh, this is probably the best, the best, the best season of television. If you can even call it a season, I mean, eight, 18 hours of show. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the best season of television ever made. I mean, I'd put it right up there with, you know, the best seasons of Breaking Bad. You know what else, Absolutely. right? The best seasons of Buffy. I, I don't. I don't even know coach. what Coach. Yeah. Oh, Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I put it up there with Friends yeah. and and D- Dharma and Greg. <laughs> um, I love Drew. I love your your read of like the end, uh, the ending, and bringing Laura Palmer back. My 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 uh, interpretation of it is actually now that I've heard yours, I think I like yours a little bit better. <laughs> but mine is this idea that like. Cooper, uh, if we're still to think of him as sort of a representation of the audience, like he finally, we finally get Cooper back and he goes back in time and he stops Laura Palmer from getting murdered. Um, but then what does he do is he brings her back to the scene of like a hor- <laughs> like the wor- the worst thing that's ever happened to her. And yeah. it doesn't matter like what state she is in, like whether she's in another reality or what, what the deal is. I think it's, I, it, to me, it's, it, I read it as she is Laura Palmer. And in that moment, she realizes she remembers all of, all right. of her trauma. And mm-hmm. she's not the one that wanted to go there. Cooper is the one that was so eager to bring her back to her home. And Why? Like what, what does Cooper gain from it? It's like, it, it, it's, it's like almost like he, it for closure for himself. Like it's, it doesn't seem like he's doing it for Laura necessarily. Cause what purpose would that, would that serve? If you, you remember know? like Jacoby even explains like, you know, I think Laura might have let herself be killed. I mean, she was trying to escape that home every day of her life through drugs through uh going up to like one-eyed jacks or like you know um uh being a sex worker or just trying to escape her reality like in every sense because it was like hell for you know she was living like a miserable existence why are we trying to bring her back to that 
you know it's kind of a a, a selfish desire just yes for our own entertainment (laughs) our own entertainment exactly yeah i I mean the the idea too that you guys are touching on about cooper being the audience is like also from a from just like a a film study standpoint or like if you're gonna like write a pilot like about a world that maybe the audience isn't familiar with what you do is you bring a character in from outside and they act as the audience's surrogate or the audience's doppelganger and that's what cooper has been the whole time i mean i know you guys Mm -hmm. are basically have already said that a lot but uh but the one thing that you haven't said blatantly is like he functions that way for a for an actual technical reason like the like the reason his his character was so important is because he is the audience's eyes into the world of Twin Peaks from the beginning. Twin Peaks was already a yes. uh, a carnival mm. going on its own, you know, it, it had its inner workings and its mechanics and you needed somebody there who was an outsider to sort of be the audience and go, "Oh, they got good coffee here. It's it's very peaceful around here. The people are charming." <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd say you can go even one step further is that um Cooper has a link with the audience unlike any other sort of like audience surrogate. Like a lot of times you'll notice if you do a rewatch that Cooper intuits things that the audience that has been revealed to the audience. Mm-hmm. that he couldn't mm. know yeah. and that he can sort of read what the audience already has learned about the situation uh, and then sort of apply that to the to the investigation like he has this weird like intuitive like almost like ESP link with like the viewer in a weird way yeah love it wow love it wow <laughs> man i'm fucking i you know i knew i was gonna get emotional at the end of this and i'm and i'm there buddies i'm like i'm so i, love I that. can't believe we're done like that's that's it like this is gonna be also it's it's like it's like so brilliant to find a show that you just know it's gonna be there forever like it's gonna be one of your go-tos forever like oh, every yeah. couple of years it's going to be Twin Peaks here, and it's going to be going back through all this stuff, drumming it up, noticing different things. Ugh, it's 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 fantastic. I couldn't have had more fun doing this, Eric. Thank you for you know putting us in this situation to begin with. Being such a big fan, Drew. Thanks for coming on and and sharing our last episode of Stan and Dave Need Wedding Dates with us. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you guys for doing this entire podcast. It's been uh, such a fun listen every week. Uh, every movie, every Lynch and Kubrick movie, and then of course the return was just the cherry on top. I just, I just love it all so much, and uh, it was just fun to experience it, especially the return, like through your eyes, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I, so, thank you, thank you, guys. I, it, yeah. it was everything I wanted it to be. More Ike the thank Spike. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Drew. You know, once this is all over, once once people are allowed to to interact with one another once again, uh, you know what. We got we got to hang out and talk Lynch sometime. Uh, uh, yes. And Jeremy, you know it might be expensive for you to fly out here, but you're welcome to come. Oh as well. yeah, no, I'd love to. In fact, we, the three of us, honestly, should just go out and do the thing. Take the trip to Washington and go stay at all the places and like. Uh, have you done that, Drew? Have you gone out there? I have not gone out there. That is definitely like on my list of like things to do once like 
traveling is like a, a safe, good recreational activity. Well, we I we think... should start planning it now so that when it as soon as it's over, we know exactly how we how we want to do it. Oh, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll I'll get my passport ready. Yeah. <laughs> I think um I I I really want to go to that convention that they do out there uh, if it ever happens again. I think uh, I watched a little mini documentary on it, and I'm like, man, I could like I would lose my voice within like four hours just being in a room filled with Twin Peaks fans. <laughs> I would just be like uh, in heaven this year, right? Wasn't it supposed to be like Graceland or something? Yeah, yeah. There- you know what's funny is I I emailed the uh venue and i was like hey uh i host a podcast about stanley kubrick can we get some press passes and the guy was like oh yeah that's awesome um just send me some uh statistics on your podcast or whatever and i sent him our soundcloud numbers and uh have never heard back from him (laughs) 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 wow demand we're not quite to that level, but the, I, although I will say those passes were like four hundred dollars or something. Oh, so, so worth it! I'm gonna start growing out my Leo Johnson cut just for the event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'll be Wyndham Earl. And I'll just <laughs> torment you yeah. the entire weekend. I will be uh, Wyndham Earl dressed as the Log Lady. Oh, love it, love it, Drew. You got anything uh, you want to plug or or? or Get off your chest before we sign off here. No, I think that is about it. Uh, I don't have anything to plug. Uh, currently, my life is uh, very slow and boring. No, nothing, nothing car- uh, going on right now. But I do just want to, you know, just shout out you two. Shout out the Patreon. Oh, yeah. you know, everyone should go and support these two guys. They're uh, they're swell. And uh, if you guys want to get onto an episode, all you have to do. Uh, is- <laughs> To uh, cancel your Patreon subscription, and they'll basically do anything you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of that the is hi- that is like the secret. That's the secret of the Patreon is we have a tier that's like, hey, pay this much money and we'll do an episode for whatever, and then one DM from literally anyone, and we're like, all right, let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys so much for the for the podcast. I'm, I'm gonna you know, continue listening to the next iteration. Very excited. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Jeremy, any plugs before we sign off? Hell no. Hell no. The Patreon. We got to, we got, if you haven't heard, if you're not on the Patreon, the episode we posted this Monday was a banger. So please get on there. We're talking Jackass the movie, 2002's Jackass the movie. As of right (laughs) now, rocking a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. Isn't that criminal? Far too low. Isn't that criminal? (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, and I, of course, never have anything to plug, so <laughs> stay tuned for, uh, don't be, please do not unsubscribe when you see that our name cha- and art cover art changes next week. Uh, it just means that we're shifting focus. Same two guys, though. Uh, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Ooh, woo.